Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of Pulp Hockey Podcast with the great Ray Ferraro, former NHL player, now TSN color analyst. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can get it on Stitcher. You can get this on Pulp Mix or Pulp Mix, PulpHockey.com. You can get it uh, on uh, iTunes. And, uh, yeah, we thank everybody for listening. Thanks to Two Under, the number two UNDR, best men's underwear out there. Uh, use code Ferraro20 to save. A lot of NHLers uh, use it as well. R.A. Dickey, the Atlanta Braves pitcher now. All right, Dickie. He's a he's a two under ambassador. Uh, thanks for listening. Lots to talk about with Ray Ferraro. Uh, Ray, what's going on? Thanks, uh, thanks for doing this again. I'm back in back in Toronto for Jets Leafs here on Tuesday, and um, it's kind of like it's it's really kind of cool to see. You know what, Steve? Like it is the Jets and the Leafs, but really it's Patrick Lyonet and Austin mm-hmm. Matthews, and the other guys are just coming along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it, it, like this morning, both of those kids were just swarmed, surrounded by the media. And, of course, Line A doesn't get to Toronto but once a year. Mm-hmm. And so they were just – I mean, you couldn't – the guy's six foot four. You couldn't even see him. <laughs> he was just surrounded in the in the Jets' room. And he, he likes the media. Awesome to see. Yeah, he likes the media. He's an outgoing kid from Finland. Like, he's he enjoys it. So that's good. He does. Yeah. He's, uh, he's got a real good sense of humor. He, uh, I think he sees the absurdity of some of it. <laughs> and, you know, he seems to like to poke the bear a little bit, which mm-hmm. I, I think is awesome. And then he's got great style and flair when he scores. And, you know, Matthews is a little more buttoned down. And, you know, here the two of them are with 28 goals on the season. It's just, just remarkable. We're going to have a Boston Bruins insider from CSN, uh, Joe Haggerty, on later to talk about the Bruins. They're a little bit – this coaching change has worked for them. Uh, Bruce Cassidy, they're, they're one four in a row. They're in the last wild card spot. So we'll have Joe on to, uh, to touch base on what's going on with the Bruins. Yeah, they've, uh, they've had quite a, quite a 10 days. They fired their longtime coach, Claude Julian, and, you know, they're – it wasn't the smoothest of transitions to Bruce Cassidy. They, um, you know, they took a lot of heat in the media for scheduling the firing and press conference at the same time as the Patriots parade. And um, of course, that dies down if the mm-hmm. team plays well. And yep. man, they're off. They're off and running four and zero, which is um, which is great news for a really, really intense hockey market. Yeah, but when I, I know the four and zero, and I get that, I look at their roster though, Ray, and I'm like, yeah, there's this is a new coach bump to me. Like as a Maple Leaf fan, I'm a, I I just I don't like the roster as much as I'd say like the Leafs or even even Florida who's on fire right now. Uh, although then again, I don't like the Senators roster and look at them right now. So yeah, I, I think that mm. I think what you just summed up though is the NHL today. Okay. And that <laughs> what the cap does is it makes every team the same, even though, and that's a of course a generalization, yeah. but they're all the same because. Say the Leafs got really good forwards, but their defense is eh, just okay. Mm-hmm. And Boston's got a great goalie, and their defense is just okay. Mm-hmm. And Florida's defense is is pretty good, and they but outside of the top two lines, they get a little iffy. Like everybody's got a weak point, and you hope that your weak point doesn't sink you. 
But in the meantime, mm-hmm. everybody's all bunched together. I and kn- so that, that's kind of what you've yeah. described of what the cap True. does to teams. And I, and I don't, I mean, I don't know that, like, I think they feel in Boston that they're, you know, they're going to be a playoff team. And I know their owner thinks that they could go in a long playoff run. I'm, I'm more with you. I think they can get in, but I look at this as, um, you know, they got a new coach. What do they call it? The dead cat bounce. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I don't know that this is a long-term solution for them. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Uh, I know you love this kind of stuff, Ray. Uh, the, the hypothet- what, what do I love? The hypothetical stuff. Um, I hate it. I know, and I love it. But if the season ended today. But it doesn't. But it does. Let's say it does. Uh, who gets your Calder Trophy vote? Like, I don't even know how this is even a question. It's obviously Austin Matthews, the center position. Look, I know, I know you, you're a Leaf boy. No, it, but it, the center position is, is the most important position in the game outside of goaltending. Well, yeah, outside of goaltending. So that makes it the second most. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, so, and then there, there are plenty of people that will argue that a, a defenseman would be ahead of the centerman. No. In any case, I think – I would vote for Matthews, and but not by a lot. And the reason being is I I think they're both uh, I think they're astounding what the two of them are doing. Mm-hmm. Like it's just look I, I I guess I guess maybe the reason I'm I'm so intrigued by Lion A was you know I I watch Lion A at the World Juniors I watch him at the World Championships um, you know I've seen I had seen quite a bit of him. And I just wondered if his skating was ready to be, um, you know, to be NHL ready. Mm-hmm. With Matthews, I didn't, I didn't even concern myself. I figured he's going to have a fifty-point season. He's, you know, he's going to get twenty goals. He's, you know, he's going to be a really good player in his first year. And both of them have just run right past any expectations that I had. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even close. Yeah. I mean, they're they're dominant players. At 18 and 19 years old, it's it's remarkable. There's there's not many players in the game, like maybe Ovechkin only, that shoot the puck like Lionel. Like it, it's yeah. a gift from the gods. And then you have Matthews, who is just he's a he's a really interesting guy. He reminds me the guy I've kind of come to con- the conclusion he reminds me of a bit is Malkin mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh because there is. Spectacular, spectacular plays in his arsenal. Yet somebody else is always more spectacular. Like in Pittsburgh, yeah, it's yeah, always right. Crosby, sure. and then there's yep. Malkin. Right. And this year, you know, Mitch Marner has been electrifying in Toronto. He had more and points then, than Matthews when he before he got hurt. Yeah. Yeah, and then Matthews just kind of just chugs along and mm-hmm. does his thing and. And this thing is really, really spectacular. So I think that's why, you know, I, I'm so intrigued by Lion A is because of the spectacular nature sure. of what he does. But, you know, he has gone, the longest he's gone without a goal this year is six games. Like, that's absurd. Mm-hmm. Matthews went 13 earlier. Yep. Um, I'm going to say that, that Matthews would be my vote, but it would be by... Not that it matters. It's a one, two, or three vote. But yeah. It would be by the narrowest of margins. Well, that leads us into an email from Kevin here. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a Maple Leaf hater, but I'll read it anyways. Uh, he says the Calder Trophy seems to be inching towards Lana and, and Matthews. 
everyone seems to give more attention to the center position and by default gives the edge to Matthews. That's, that's kind of what I've been saying. But Kevin says, if that's the case, why isn't Matthews being more scrutinized for being 80th in the league in faceoffs and only a plus three when, pairing, when playing against second defenseman pairings and second third lines? If he's a dominant center, wouldn't his stats reflect that? Uh, and uh, this, you know, so Kevin's got some fancy stats going on here. But um, you know, he says he's a, he's a Red Wing fan, so he's not not a not a Matthews hater. And he's got a point. The faceoffs aren't great. But Ray, when have you ever seen a young uh, player come into the league and be good at faceoffs? It's like an I'm acquired sure skill. Some. Yeah, there has to I'm, be. I'm, but yeah. I'm sure there's some. But the answer is, I'll, I'll say never. But I know that the <laughs> an, there is an right, answer there. Right. Um, young players. Just they just don't they don't have it yet. They haven't developed the skill um, in in their minor hockey days. They're always, in most cases, the best player. Mm-hmm. Um, as a centerman, they're they're just either stronger or faster than the guys that they're facing off against. And faceoffs don't have uh, the same importance as they do at the pro level. So I don't I don't think that they ever work on them. Okay. And they get to the NHL and they get their ass kicked and they're like, oh. Mm-hmm. I got to get better at it. Now, one of the better guys in the league in faceoffs is Sidney Crosby. He was also one of the worst in his rookie season. And he went home in the summer and mm-hmm. he's like, okay, that was terrible. Right. And he came back and he was a 50% guy in his second year. Like, that was an extraordinary jump. Right. But he had to learn to do it. As far as the matchups, that's uh, totally incorrect. Um, Matthews gets the top matchups on the road all the time because they don't have a choice. That's mm-hmm. who he gets. Yep. At home, he always plays the second matchup. Um, and, and Mike Babcock talked about this today because he plays Kadri against yep. – like tonight he'll play Kadri against Mark Shifley. Right. And, and Matthews will get Brian Little. It's not, like, it's not like Matthews getting a bunch of stumble bumps to play against. <laughs> the guy that gets really protected and has really benefited from it is Tyler Bozak. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I, um, I, I don't know – I don't know anybody that would debate the importance of a winger to centerman argument. You know, the centerman would always grade out right. as, as more difficult. The thing that's amazing to me is that, you know, Liney's Liney's a a he's more than a pure goal scorer, but I will call him a pure scorer. He's one of the few guys in the league that can be a one shot scorer. Like he he doesn't need very many chances. Matthews has a really good shot. Mm-hmm. Line A has another world shot. Yeah. And so what's cool is you're going to argue about this. Who would you rather have, Crosby or Ovechkin? Right. Who would you rather have, uh, Gretzky or Messier mm-hmm. at the time, right? Yep. You know, which defenseman at the peak did you want? Did you want Lidstrom or did you want Chelios? It didn't, you know, it, it's for argument's sake. It's, for, it's great for sports fans to argue it. But I don't know that there's any way to knock or to chip at either Lion A or Matthews. They're teenagers who have extraordinary games that will continue to get better. So you're Kevin Sheveldayoff, general manager of the Winnipeg Jets, and you're probably not going to make the playoffs this year. You gambled on your goaltending being good enough, and it wasn't. What do you do this offseason? Uh, again, Ben Bishop, free agent. Um, I look at guys, uh, Martin Jones, Cam Talbert, a couple of uh, uh, backups that stepped into starter roles and have played very well. Now, they're not going to give up on Hellebuck. There's no way. They're not going to give up on him. But they're going to want to maybe uh, uh, put him back in the backup position and learn. 
Or, Ray, if you're Shevoldayoff, do you go into next season uh, saying, okay, we, we, we believe he will step it up? Oh, I, I think that's what they'll do. Um, but there is no question uh, they have to find a more reliable veteran presence to be his backup. So you don't see his. So you don't see a flurry. His one B. Yeah. yeah, you don't see a flurry or Bishop or anybody. I, I don't. No, I don't. Um, now, Winnipeg's on the cusp of the playoffs. They have four wins from their backup, Michael Hutchison. Mm-hmm. Had he been just a little better this year and had seven wins, that's another six points. Yep. Right? Yep. You know, you're, you're in a different position. Now, they asked Hellebuck to do a lot. They really shouldered him with a really heavy load. And, um, and maybe it's predictable that he sprung some leaks. But I think he's really good. Um, I, I don't know if he's, you know, he has the, you know, the chops to be a 60-game mm-hmm. starter. I don't know how anybody would really know that. But you're right, um, uh, Cam Talbot and Martin Jones, nobody knew then either. Right. They, you know, those, those teams, Edmonton and, and San Jose, took educated guesses on those two players, and they've, and they've hit home runs with both of them. Now, you could also say, look, Dallas went with two veteran guys, and they both stink. Mm-hmm. Like they can't stop the puck, and it's, cr- it's crippled them this year. Yep. So, yeah, it would be nice to have a veteran guy, but it's more important to get a guy that can stop the puck. <laughs> you know, I mean, if he's 25 or 6 years old, um, I, don't, I don't see that being a problem either. Uh, but I do think Winnipeg will keep Hellebuck as their kind of top-of-the-heap guy yep. and try to add below him. Do you see, and getting away from the Jets even, do you see a guy in the league that can take a step? I mean... Chad Johnson earlier on in the season, but I think he's kind of come back to earth and proven, you know, why he is 30 years old and a backup. But is there a guy that you like to take a leap like that in the league, or, or maybe not this year, but in a year well, or two? I don't know. I don't know about with the youth. You know, with okay. the real young guys. I I think Peter Morazic in Detroit can be really good, mm-hmm. but he's already been he's already sort of good. Yeah. into yeah. that. Yeah. You know, that wouldn't be as much of a a leap. Um, I've always always thought. Michael Neuverth is really good, and he he can't get healthy enough to go on a a run. Mm-hmm. Now Philly's going to do something with their goaltending. They're not coming back with Mason and uh, and Neuverth. That's no. yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, can it be a guy like uh, Pickard in Colorado? M- maybe, but I but I don't know. the The one young guy that I have a little experience watching. And I think he's terrific. He's UC Soros in Nashville. Um, he was a fourth-round draft pick. He's, he's started to play a little more spelling Pecorine. Mm-hmm. Um, when he got drafted, um, the consensus was if he was 6'2", he would have been a first-rounder. He's just around six feet, maybe a shade under. Mm-hmm. But he's really good. And I wonder if he can be a guy that maybe bucks the big goalie trend. Right, right. Yeah, which seems to be everybody. What everybody's doing? Oh, everybody's—it yeah. looks like yeah. everybody's a monster in there. Now. <laughs> I know. Um, I think the best thing I saw last week—we're going to touch on Sidney Crosby hitting a thousand points because I saw a stat that kind of struck me. But before that, I think the best thing I saw was Jonathan Druin's shift in overtime against the Avalanche for Tampa Bay when he scores. That's why Steve Eiserman never traded him. Right there. If if you haven't seen it, go YouTube it. <laughs> right. It is. Unbelievable. But the, here's the thing. 
that that I was thinking as I watched that the third or fourth time was <laughs> it's not just about skill and it's not just about hard work. You know, there's lots of coaches that will will say because they're old grumps and they're you know, and mm-hmm. they're just the way they are and they'll say, Oh, see, look at the effort. It was the effort that yeah, Well yeah. that's fine. There are lots of guys could try that hard. Right. But if they didn't have Drew Ann's skill, none of it would have happened. And there are other guys that have Drew Ann's skill that don't have near that tenacity on the puck. You marry the two of them, and you get a, you get 40 seconds of brilliance. Like, that was amazing to watch. It almost looked, you know, the first time I watched it, I watched it on my yeah. phone, and it looked like it looked like somebody had speeded up a little video. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You know, right, the right, right. running around the ice. I'm like, yeah. what am I watching here? And then when I got yeah. home and watched it a few more times, it, it's it's brilliant. And you got to watch the whole shift. The goal of the year. Yeah, you got to watch the whole shift. Almost, yeah. you know, like. Uh, to me, it's the goal of the year, Steve. Really? Huh? I, yeah. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. No, Matthews against the Canes the other night. I mean that. He's up. He's Bobby there are Orr. Times when your when your leafness borders on idiocy. <laughs> he's like Bobby Orr out of the corner. He's up. He's parallel to the yeah, ice. Yeah, they both had feet. That was not like Bobby Orr and. The, and Matthew's goal was awesome. Yeah, but it was not. All right, point. that's fine. No, Druin was great. You got everyone's got to go YouTube it, go look at it. It's uh, it's phenomenal. And and if you also haven't seen Wes McCauley, yeah. uh, five minutes for fighting. <laughs> you need to get to that too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Sidney Crosby hits a thousand points, and you know, obviously, he missed a year and a half with with concussion issues, so he would have hit it a lot sooner. And okay, so he hits a thousand points. He's a great player. We know that, and I don't. I don't want to – I don't know how else to say this. Like, I've never been that impressed with Crosby. Is I know that's a dumb thing to say. He's phenomenal. It is. But he's like the best grinder guy. Like, when you watch all yes. these great guys, they have so much – you can pick out so many great attributes from all these amazing players throughout history. And when I watch Crosby, I'm like, he's just gritty. He's a grinder, but he's phenomenal. No, um, I, would, I would say the one – let me jump okay, in Yeah, there. go ahead. Save I don't me. think you can find – the thing with Sid is that I don't think you can find anything that he doesn't do. Right. Yeah. And that makes him so complete that it probably takes away from some of the spectacular stuff that he does. Do you know he's fifth all-time in points per game? I had no idea till I saw that No, stat. I wouldn't have guessed that. I would not have guessed that. Gretzky, Lemieux, Bossy, Bobby Orr, Crosby. He's fifth in I wouldn't career. have guessed Bossy. I know, huh? Yeah, that's a good point, too. Yeah. Like nine, nine years for Bossy. Yep. He scored 50 goals every year. The 10th year, he had 35 goals, hurt his back, and that was it. Yep, and they're done. Yeah. Like, uh, that's amazing. But I would not have guessed, Steve, that it, that uh, – I, I might have said he's in the top 10, but I don't – not fifth. I mean, that's amazing. It, it is. Uh, do you know, outside of Malkin, who's got – who's helped, you know, got the most points with uh, – has helped Sydney get the most points – Who's the second guy? Who would you think? Who would you guess? Because that's part. Chris Kunitz. Oh, it was Kunitz. Okay, never mind. I'm dealing with you, of course. Uh, you know, hockey, all hockey knowledgeable guy. But my point is a little bit about that fifth place. Now, Malkin's all world. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a, an amazing player, like we talked about. But Chris Kunitz is not. And when you look at Gretzky, Lemieux, Bossy, or who the guys ahead of him. They had multiple great players helping them out. Now, these guys, you know, that's not why they got to be where they're at. But, again, when you look at Crosby and another point about how awesome he is, after Malkin, it's Chris Kunitz. 
Like, he's just that Sid good. He had his best <laughs> years, you know, early in his career. He had his best years with Chris Kunitz and Pascal Dupuis. Right. Neither of those guys are screaming Hall of Fame. No, they no offense to them. Hard-working guy. Right, yes. That, you know, that could work the corners. They could. They were fast. you got to be fast to play with Sid. Uh, right now, the latest guy is Connor Sheary, mm-hmm. although he's hurt. And you're like, Connor Sheary? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's who plays with Sid yeah. and does an amazing job with him. And so you've got to be able to keep up. You, But the most important thing, I believe, is you've got to be able to think. If you're playing with a great player... They think the game at a level most can't. Mm-hmm. So you've got to at least be kind of close to them. And if you're not, you're sunk. Yeah, Colby Armstrong, who does uh, is now on Sportsnet, uh, talks about playing with Sid and how if you didn't have your stick on the ice, that was a problem. Like, have your stick on the ice. Because he, he, you don't know when it's coming. You don't know when he's going to find you. And if you don't have your stick on the ice, he gets very angry with you. Well, the thing is, they can continue a play. When I say they, I think of a guy like Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. The play's over, except it's not. Yeah. Because they can extend a play, and if you think the play's over and your stick's up in the air two feet, all of a sudden, boom, the puck's right past your feet, and they're not going to give it to you again. Yeah. Yeah, they get mad at you. Very angry, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and Malkin, again, uh, he's contributed the most points to Sydney's 1,000, but I would think a majority of those are on the power play. They don't play a sure. Ton. They played a little bit together. Malkin would play on the wing, but yeah. not not a whole ton. Yeah. So anyway, Sidney Crosby, a thousand points. Pretty good. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Um, you weren't far off either, right, from getting a thousand. By the way. Yeah. If I had better wingers. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> exactly. Couldn't have been me. No. No way. Um, suspension issues this week. We talked about Nyquist last week, and you said, "I don't see how that's not a ten gamer." Yeah, it was six, Ray. And you also said last week, it's probably not going to be 10. Yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's ridiculous, to be honest with you. Like, they can come up with any excuse they want. I know they said his butt end of the stick hit the glass. and <laughs> Like, okay, so it hit the glass. Like, what the hell was he doing anyway? Yeah, so he got lucky, exactly. <laughs> right. Like, I, I just, I don't buy it. I, I do think that the, the Department of Player Safety lacks balance. Yeah. Um, if you look at the guys that are in there that do the job, which is not an easy job, first first point first, that is not easy to do. You're, you're under great scrutiny by everybody that watches the game, is a fan of somebody, manages a team, great pressure. Um, but you've got to deal with it. But they have all players that were more on the rugged side of the game. Stefan Quintel, George Peros, Chris Pronger, um, Patrick Burke is there. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume he doesn't look at things 180 <laughs> degrees from his father. From his dad, right. Right. And so, and Damian Echeverrieta is the, um, um, is the one non-hockey playing guy, if you mm-hmm. would say. Damian's been there for – Damian's probably as qualified as anybody. He's been there for 15 years. But it's um, – they could use some – they could use a finesse player in the group, right? I think to add balance, because Nyquist suspension is way too light. Absolutely, I think it, the optics of it were terrible, and the so they're they're in a league that's trying to do, you know, trying to do the right thing about head trauma, and a guy gets speared in the face and he gets six games. Mm-hmm. I just I just don't 
I didn't agree with the suspension. As well as we said last week, I I thought it should be ten. Yep. Um, and Anton Vermet, who's last an official. Not, I don't know not, what the hell he's thinking. I don't know. It wasn't very hard, but that doesn't shouldn't matter. That doesn't even matter. <laughs> no. He and, can, and like I know what happened. He they were taking the face off. Yeah. Guaranteed, the the official was trying to straighten them out. Okay. To drop the puck so it would be fair, and then the official jumped them on the draw like he dropped it before Vermette was ready. Yep. And so Vermette was pissed off, and so he reached out and smacked him on the leg. Now he didn't hit him very hard, but. That really, it, it doesn't matter. I was talking to, I was in a, we were, I was at a game last week in mm-hmm. Detroit and was talking to a couple of guys who are longtime centermen. We just happened to kind of run together. And so we're talking and I said, uh, did you guys ever think of doing that? And they were both like, not a chance. <laughs> like lots of times you'd be pissed off at the linesman. Sure. Like never, you know, oh, gee, I'm going to smack him on the leg. How many times? So they can appeal it if they want. I, yeah, they are appealing it, right? Yep, yeah, I mean, yep. they could go ahead yep. and appeal it. And I, if they take into consideration that it wasn't hard mm-hmm. and they reduce the suspension, I think it's a joke. Because then you're, you're putting into play somebody evaluating how hard you've hit the official. Yeah. That should be a no-fly zone. Which is like Gustav's stick hitting, like the butt end hitting the glass. Like, who cares? Who cares? He hit him right in the face. Yeah, exactly. And there was, there's not even a debatable defense for Nyquist in that yep. play. Yep. How many times in the draw did you tell the linesman in your career, hey, buddy, they didn't pay to see you tonight? Uh, I would use that. I would also tell them no matter how hard you try, you're never getting the orange armbands. You just <laughs> drop the puck. No, you didn't. No, you they didn't. didn't like that. <laughs> He didn't like that. And the other thing would be, look, you're here to do, you're here to do a couple of things. Call offsides, drop the puck, and call icing. That's it. <laughs> Don't be a hero, bro. <laughs> Just drop it, would you? Oh, I bet you guys. And, like, they can't really – like, a ref could get you back, right? Like, be like, oh, oh, yeah. linesmen just tell you to F off. Yeah, they can't do anything. They're pretty much powerful. Well, they could give you an unsportsmanlike, which would be really embarrassing. Yeah. No, it is. Okay. You get a linesman giving you a unsportsmanlike, you would I assume you would feel like a donkey. Is that mostly called by the ref though, those? Mostly? No, I mean the linesman can give you one. Yeah, but do they? Does it actually happen, linesman? Uh, I haven't seen it very often. Okay. But I it... saw Mike Mike Ribeiro get a ten minute misconduct from a linesman once, which because he wouldn't stop he just wouldn't stop and finally the linesman <laughs> turned around and gave him a misconduct. Yeah, the old. It was well deserved, I might add. Yeah, yeah, you were okay with it, right? Like the amount of chirping he was doing. Yeah, it had to stop, and it didn't. So, um, let's bring in Joe uh, from CSN Boston Bruins Inside. I want to ask him uh, some Chara questions, and of course, like we said, Bruce Cassidy taking over. They've been on, on a nice little roll since then. Let's bring in Joe Haggerty and uh, talk some Boston Bruins. So, as Ray and I were saying earlier on the podcast, let's bring in. Our Boston Bruins insider, Joe Haggerty. You can find him on Twitter at, at HacksWithHags and uh, also on the internet, CSNNE.com. Our Boston Bruins insider, Joe Haggerty. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you for doing it. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. How's it going today, guys? We're great. Thank you. Uh, thanks for joining the show. we got lots of Boston Bruins questions first off, I guess. Uh, Ray, uh, go ahead and, uh, and, and lead us along here. Well, Hags, I guess you know the, one of the biggest stories in – in the NHL has been the, the way coaches have and uh, coaches have been fired and prominent coaches have been fired. But 
Claude Julian was a different case, fired and then three days later hired in you know for five five million bones a year in in Montreal. Um, how's that received in Boston? And maybe talk about what led to the demise of Julian in Boston before he got to Montreal. Yeah, I mean, obviously there was some surprise and some eyebrows raised when he, uh, you know, jumped on the Habs job uh, as quickly as he did. Um, maybe less surprise when you found out it was, you know, five years, $25 million. Uh, that That will uh, speed up anybody's decision-making process, I think. Uh, but still, I think there's going to be some mixed emotions um, from Bruins fans. They're not going to face each other this year unless it's in the playoffs, but uh, just seeing him uh, wearing all the Habs gear at practice, you know, the hat and the the, the, the workout uh, suit and all that stuff, it's odd, and I think it's jarring for Bruins fans. And I think, it, it you know, it you take the thankfulness that Bruins fans have for the 10 years he provided and the legacy he built there and winning the Cup and, you know, everything else, and you couple that with uh, him now being uh, the leader of the enemy, you know, and, and being the face of that. Uh, crew that Montreal Canadiens crew every time they come into Boston. I think there's a little bit of a crisis there of, you know, do we hate this guy now? Do we still love and appreciate this guy for fans? <laughs> I think there's definitely some of that. Um, but, you know, well, well, I think for me, for, for covering the team, uh, it's going to be super interesting. I, I think once you get stuff like this where one player goes from one rival to the other or a coach, uh, similar to Red Sox-Yankees when players were going back and forth and you know, I remember when that was at its height and, you know, Alex Rodriguez was supposedly going to come to the Red Sox. Then he ended up going to the Yankees and stuff like, you know, once you get those kind of things with rivalries, I think it just heightens it to a whole different level. And uh, the Bruins Habs rivalry, I think the last few years, it kind of quieted down a little bit. It's been better this year, but still wasn't what it was at its peak when, you know, Milan Lucic was beating the bejesus out of Mike Komisarek and, you know, they were meeting in the playoffs and, you know, even a couple of years ago, it was at another uh, nice little high when uh, PK Subban and Price did the number on the Bruins in the second round and jettisoned them. And it hasn't been the same since then. And I think obviously seeing Claude behind the bench is, is going to spike it up again when they do play. And I, I just hope the hockey gods somehow, some way, um, find a way for these two teams to meet in the playoffs this year because I think it would be awesome. I think uh, there would be plenty of hate. There would be plenty of strong emotions. I think that's when hockey and playoff hockey's at its best and it really, you know, it's kind of meant to be, so I hope it does happen. Uh, but as far as as far as him getting fired, you know, I think I've been more vocal that I think it was coming and I probably should have happened at the end of last year Why after that collapse. Why did uh, I think they were afraid of, of the criticism because he was such a popular coach. I think that was part of it. Um, I think part of it might have been that uh, ownership wasn't ready to, to make that move. Uh, certainly part of it was, because from what I've been told and gathered, I think Jeremy Jacobs really liked Claude, and that was, was part of the holdup uh, in them making the move. Uh, but I think the biggest factor was Don Sweeney wanted Claude back, and, and I think he made no uh, qualms about it that he thought it was the right move to bring him back. And, you know, the, it could be that he, that was his guy or he at least wanted to give him one more chance and felt like he deserved it after, you know, nine years of, uh, you know, becoming the winningest coach in franchise history and all that stuff. Or the more cynical person would say he was brought back to kind of uh, be somebody that uh, could take the fall if they struggled at, at points <laughs> this year and, you know, would, would sort of take some of the blame away from uh, the GM and the president uh, before, 
they start getting blamed even more for a team that was underperforming. And, you know, he was uh, partially uh, kept on board for, for that reason, which uh, is too bad if that's the case. Uh, it's hard to get anybody to admit if that is actually what happened. But you got the feeling this year, and I certainly did, that Claude Julian was not going to be the guy all year, that at some point he was going to get fired, that uh, because of what happened the last couple of years, that it was, you know, he was on borrowed time and it was going to happen. And as soon as you saw the team performing the way it was in the first 55 games, which was very similar to the last couple of years, not prepared to play on nights, um, not emotionally connected to games, uh, making the same mistakes over and over again, a lot of underperformance from uh, good players and players that had been consistent, and uh, you know, still continuing to struggle to integrate young players into the fold for the Bruins. When you saw all that stuff happen again this year, uh, you, you knew it was only a matter of time before he was going to get fired. And you know, the four games since the firing uh, has been pretty eye-opening the way that they've responded for sure. Now, Joel, they've you know, I've I've watched three of the four games, and they they look far more aggressive. Like they look like they're yep. I won't call them risky, but I'm going to say that they look a little bit more risky. Like they're they're going to push to get people up in the play. They're going to try and pinch down the boards a little more aggressively. They're going to, you know, I don't know, it looks like they want to score more instead of defend more. Um, is that is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair and accurate. And I think, you know, in some ways it makes a lot of sense because they're, they're not a good defenseman crew in their own end uh, and breaking the puck out. So the the best way to not have to do that is to play in the other end as much as possible and, you know, try to avoid those situations. So you're you're maximizing the aggressiveness to keep the puck out of your D zone and out of the areas where you have trouble and, you know, really putting the full court press on the other team and forcing them into making mistakes. And it's very different from uh, the very passive style that Claude Julian had. And, you know, he did not, was not a big risk taker and not a big believer in, in defensemen pitching up at certain points and young players uh, taking risks to be creative with the puck uh, offensively and, you know, I think there are a lot of players that that felt like um, they didn't have the the green light. That's what you know. As one player said to me, is you know, you didn't feel like the green light was there to make certain plays uh, when Claude was the coach, and you know, now that green light is there with Bruce Cassidy to take chances to step up in certain instances. Certainly, you see it with the defensemen who have been much more involved in offensive plays and the production uh, in the four games uh, since Cassidy took over. I mean, the first goal that they scored uh, against San Jose. You see the puck in the corner, and David Krejci's down there battling to keep in the corner in the offensive zone. And then out of nowhere, you see uh, Tory Krug next to him, <laughs> way down low below the goal line in the corner, uh, giving him support and trying to keep the puck in. And that's something you would have never, ever seen with Claude Julian, uh, was a D-man like that down that low in that particular instance. And he feeds it right to the slot to David Backus for a goal in the first period. And, you know, I, there's been a lot of instances of that, I, I think, the third line with uh, Ryan Spooner and uh, and Jimmy Hayes and Frank Vetrano, uh, that has been very good and very productive in the four games uh, since Cassidy took over. Claude Julian did not have trust in those players to play them together defensively on the third line, uh, and he would never put them together. And Cassidy's done that, and they've played better. And you know, guys like Spooner and Jimmy Hayes look like different players uh, under Cassidy than they did with Claude Julian. And you can make judgments on them about you know how much they were putting into it under Claude, and you know how much is system that's allowing them now or, or a change in philosophy to uh, really produce like they are. Uh, but it, it looks like a different bunch. And Peter Solarik, a rookie, comes in, 
uh, is immediately put into a top six role from Providence, put on the power play. You did not see Claude Julien uh, taking guys on the bus from Providence and throwing them into those roles right away. And uh, he's played pretty well since Cassidy put him in there too. So, you know, you're seeing immediate differences and, and changes that are uh, both philosophical and just uh, mindset-wise that are way different than Claude. And you know that they're going to get burned at times taking all these risks, but uh, it's been a welcome change to Bruins fans, that's for sure. Now, do do you expect the Bruins at all? I mean, this this goes into this time of year. Will the Bruins try to add at the deadline? Will they will they try to move a guy like Matt Bolesky, who just two year you know a year and a half ago they signed to a free agent deal? Now he's not in the lineup. Like, will they try to move him? Will they try to improve their decor, or do they just sit because they have a? I mean, if there's one thing the Bruins have really done well is stockpile young players that are just outside the NHL. They've got a terrific group that's just sitting there. I've seen them in the World Juniors, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's another Bruins guy. But will they sacrifice one of those guys, Joe, to bring somebody in? Or do you think they just kind of hold on that path? If I were to guess, I would say they're going to stay with what they have, and there's not going to be a significant deal. If they're, if they're going to make a trade, it's going to be for a young player that's going to be under their control for a while. That's going to be t- part of the long-term uh, future and long-term solution. You know, I think that's why Gabriel Landeskog was mentioned uh, prominently in trade rumors. Uh, Is I that still believe... alive? Do you think? I don't think that's alive because I don't think the Bruins are willing to give up Brandon Carlo or Charlie McAvoy to make it happen, and, and they're going to have to give up a player like that, a young, promising player in order to get a player, uh, you know, Landeskog, uh, a captain, an all-star level player, a guy that's under contract for a long period of time, uh, you know, when he's healthy, he's good for 20 to 25 and 50 to 60. It's that kind of player that they're going to be looking for, and they really need a, a big, you know, winger type to play with David Krejci uh, that can finish. So he, he checks a lot of the boxes, but they're not going to give up a Carlo or a McAvoy. And unless Joe Sakic comes off a demand like that for that player, which I don't think he will, he probably shouldn't. Um, they're not going to make that trade. And I think, you know, they're in it for the long haul, so uh, it doesn't necessarily have to get done by the deadline for them. I think they're okay with taking the team that they have and, you know, seeing if they can make the playoffs and even waiting to July 1 or the draft, or, you know, some other point to start uh, thinking about uh, making a deal and, and getting a player like that in. Um, you know, I, I don't see them doing rentals. Uh, Shattenkirk doesn't make sense for them, even though they've been linked to him in the past. Uh, they're not going to give up all those assets for a player they're only going to have for a couple months, and they're not going to pay a guy like him seven years and $49 million when they've got uh, Carlo and McAvoy on the right side coming. Um, so uh, unless they get a really good prime young player that gets offered to them, I don't, I don't see them making a significant move. Maybe they shore up their backup goaltending if Anton Hudobin uh, continues to crap the bed here before the trade deadline. But I was just going to ask them- you that. Man, Joe, they've run the wheels off of Tuka Rask in the last couple of years. And last year, by the end of the year, he was, you know, he was a shell of himself. Um, can Kudobin give them a couple of wins so they don't have to add somebody? Or do they just have to do it anyway uh, because they can't take that chance again? Well, you know what? I think they have to add something, right? Because if he gets hurt or if something happens, even if he's performing well, do they have uh, confidence over the last few months of the season that Zane McIntyre or Malcolm Subban is going to be able to come in uh, and be the backup? You know, is their goaltending depth is very shaky right now, and uh, I think that was shown in in big bold letters in, in the first half of the season. You know, when they had one win in the first uh, 50 games, 
50 plus games from their backup goaltender. Uh, and they've had to play to Garaskway more than they've wanted to. And I think his performance has dipped because of that. So I would expect they're going to go out and get somebody. Um, you know, maybe it's a, a guy that has been one of these goalies that's been banished down to the minor leagues, like a Hawk or somebody else. Um, but I think they're going to fully investigate that. And I think they have to make a move now because uh, they can't just bank on one or two wins from Hudobin before March 1st and say that they're all set uh, for the rest of the year. And it's not going to cost them a lot to go out and get a player like that. So I think that's one area, uh, regardless, they're going to address. And then, you know, they'll they'll take a look at the other situations. I can almost guarantee you, though, they're, they're not, there's not going to be a repeat of last year where they're giving up a lot of future assets for kind of pedestrian rentals like uh, John Michael Lyles and Lee Stempniak. I don't think they're going to make that mistake again. Now, it's been just... Ten days. Uh, we're talking to Joe Haggerty, um, uh, a reporter from Boston who covers the Bruins, covers the Red Sox. We'll get to the Red Sox after we get off the air uh, because do we we're have getting to? right into it, my boy. Do we have go. to? Please, come on. Oh, we have to. <laughs> we have to. But um, I hear the bullpen you, sessions are going great down in Fort Myers right now, Ray. You'll be very happy. <laughs> so that, that's good news. And, and I see Pablo Sandoval looks like a half a man, which is great. He does. He does. The, the uh, fitness and nutrition program has worked uh, splendidly for him. His suit maker is thrilled because the suits he made him last <laughs> spring don't fit anymore. And he needs to get in there again. So, But what I was going to ask you is it's been 10 days. They win four games under Cassidy. Um do the people feel or do you get a sense that there almost seemed to be a crisis around the Bruins that, I mean, they, they kind of botched the timing of the of Julian's firing, which was the day of the Patriots parade. I mean, they, they looked yeah. like they, they looked like they, you know, fell on the football there. Like it really, it really didn't look very good. Does there seem to be a sense of kind of settling in a little bit here for Don Sweeney and above him Cam Neely and Charlie Jacobs and such? Or are people still on a little bit of high alert? No, I think they've settled in after seeing the games play out on the ice the way they have the last four games and seeing, I think, more of what they expected to see. Uh, out of the team this year uh, with Cassidy behind the bench. And I definitely think there's been, you know, uh, a a little bit more of a sense of comfort is set in there or uh, not comfort, but satisfaction at what they're seeing. Like, you know, the belief that they had that this team was good enough to make the playoffs, I think is starting to get confirmed, even though it's only been four games and you still need to see it for a lot longer period of time. Uh, But I, I think, you know, for a team that so much the first 55 games uh, by their own admission, w- was not ready to play games and could not get it together for 60 minutes and you know could not get it together consistently. Uh, for, to see them come back from the five-day bye week that tripped up so many NHL teams and uh, go into that game against San Jose, who, you know, admittedly, uh, they, they were probably, you know, primed and ready for their bye, and they were on the second night of a back-to-back. But uh, for the Bruins to go in and win that game and play the way that they did, and show that they were ready to play after many of those guys had been on a beach for the last four or five days uh, and had been away from the ice. Uh, I think that showed them something. I think that showed me something. And it, it continues to make you realize that uh, this team was better than they looked under Claude in the first you know, 55 games of the year. And I think that's what it comes down to, right? If they play what like they have in the last four, uh, over the last 23 or so games, and they get into the playoffs and, you know, Whatever they do there, I think, is going to be a bonus. I'm going to discount what Jeremy Jacobs said on media day, which was he thinks his team's going to take a long playoff run. I don't think Sweeney thinks that. I don't think Cam Neely thinks that. But 
you know, if, if they can get back into the postseason for the first time in three years, I, I think that's a, a sign that they're headed in the right direction while bridging until Anders Bjork is ready, until Ryan Lindgren is ready, until Charlie McAvoy is ready, until Jake DeBrusque is ready and Zach Sanishin. You know, I, uh, that's really the name of the game for them right now is just to try to get through the next few years and keep their jobs, frankly, uh, until their prospects that they've drafted and developed are, are ready to contribute in the, in the National Hockey League. And I think if they can get it through to that level and into that period, they're going to be in pretty good shape. Because as you said, Ray, I, you can see it in development camp. They've got some special young talents. Uh, that's coming along. I mean, their decor alone is going to be just fantastic two or three years from now. So well, you forgot uh, you know. one guy too, Joe. When you were in, of course, you got so many to name, but uh, for Zbaka Carlson, yes. Oh my gosh, is that kid good? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, they and, they talk about him like a, another Patrice Bergeron kind of player in the making, and yeah, and they get to watch him all the time. And that would be okay. You're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> hey, yeah. that would be okay. They would, they would take that. I think they, you know. Bergeron's starting to show uh, tiny signs that he's slowing down a little bit in his 30s, so they could use another uh, 21, 22-year-old Bergeron in the ranks, no doubt about it. That would be good. (laughs) Last question for me, Joe. So we've talked about all these changes and things. The Bruins, let's let's say they get into the playoffs. Does Bruce Cassidy become the full-time head coach? Yes, I think he does, Um, and I think he'll have deserved it, you know, Uh, if Right. He comes in. He and he and Sweeney have a good relationship. I think he's he's a sort of an instrument of, of what Sweeney wanted and what his vision for the team was. And I think they're in lockstep about how they view the team and and how they view uh, how they want to play. They want it to be fast, aggressive, in your face, attacking. You know, they they like uh, the the sort of the new quote unquote new game, uh, the the way the the game is trending to in the NHL and. You know, I think there was a feeling that Claude was part of sort of the old guard and, and looked at things in the older way and um, that he wanted to slow it down, wanted to be conservative, and that just didn't jive with what Sweeney wanted to do at the end of the day. So, yeah, I, I think if, if he can see success on the ice, if he can get the most out of his players, if he shows in all facets that he's ready again to be an NHL coach after that uh, stint that he had in Washington, you know, a long time ago that didn't go so well for him. If he's, it, And I think just having been around Bruce Cassidy – that he learned a lot from that situation, that he learned a lot from his time in the AHL, his eight years with the Bruins, his five years as the head coach in Providence, that he was ready and very much uh, poised to for this chance when it came back to him again after so long. So I would expect that he's going to be the choice. And, you know, even if he is, I still think Don Sweeney's going to go out and talk to some other guys. And, you know, I think he's going to look at maybe in the college ranks. I wouldn't be surprised at all if a guy like Nate Lehman from Providence College gets a look or at least gets a conversation. I think guys David like Quinn. that, yeah, David Quinn, who I've also heard Florida might be very interested in him after the season is out too. So I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be in high demand among a lot of NHL teams as well. So, and, and you know, I think Don Sweeney is kind of, he wants a coach that's going to be innovative, that's going to be a little different, that's going to add some, some things that are going to put anxiety in the other teams. So I would expect the guys like that to get looks, but, as long as Cassidy gets the results, I think he's got the, because of his experience with a lot of the young guys from their time in Providence, and because he's getting the results now, and he's the guy that's there. I think he's got the the he's the odds-on favorite to get the job if the if the success and the results are there. Joe, before we let you go, question for me uh, as a Dano charge, all-timer, Hall of Famer, um, big huge part of Bruins uh, history. I'm sure his jersey will be up there. He's slowing down a bit. He's getting up there. Has he made mention how many more years he wants to play? Has he talked about, like, hey, I, I want to go until this time at all? No, he does not uh, put an expiration date on his uh, his playing career. And, 
you know, I think as long as physically he feels up to it, I think he's he's going to continue to play. And you know, it might not be with the Bruins, although you know, we'll see after this. The, 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 you know, he's still got a contract year for next year. So uh, when you're a guy that's 39, 40 years old, I think a lot can change pretty quickly mm-hmm. as far as you know, physically feeling like you're ready to play, uh, f- feeling like you want to go through the 82 game grind, feeling like you can play at a level that you want to be able to play at. So. But, you know, he's still the de facto number one defenseman there at 39 years old. And, you know, I think he'd be much better off as a middle-pairing guy that was probably playing fewer minutes. Uh, but that being said, I think Brandon Carlo being a pretty good right-side defenseman with him uh, has allowed him to have a pretty good season and has helped him this year. They've both helped each other, obviously. Uh, but I think uh, Carlo's been a big step up from, like, putting Adam McQuaid or Kevin Miller on his right side as, as a shutdown-pairing defenseman. And I think that's helped his game. And, you know, I, I think he's going to continue to play as long as he physically feels up to it. And the the, the fitness freak that he is and mm-hmm. the workout nut that he is, and he's so exacting about his body and, you know, keeping himself in the best of shape that, you know, I'm not going to doubt him uh, if he wants to continue to play until he's like 43, 44, 45. We've seen it before. Uh, maybe he can turn himself into one of those freaks like uh, Yarmar Yager that just keeps going on forever. What do you think, Ray, about Char? How long do you think he can keep going? He's gotten smarter. He's gotten a little better, uh, you yeah, know, realizing. I think he can play two years, two years plus this one. Uh, the reason I say I kind of have Nick Lidstrom in my, you know, yep. in my mental picture where all of a sudden, even though he could play um, to a certain level, the internally they know the deterioration gets big enough that they they're like you know what I'm not I'm not that guy anymore. And that's that's when it gets difficult. I don't see Chara being able to play um like Yager. Uh I watched Yager on Saturday night. I was in LA. I couldn't believe what he looks like. He's 45 years old. Like I'm, I'm like seriously. But I think Chara's at his size, it's going to be tough to keep with the pace because eventually um the defenseman has to turn and pivot and chase forwards. Yager doesn't have to do that. Yager can cycle the puck and hold guys off. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't. It's not a speed game for him. It's never been for Char either. But I think that eventually will catch him. But eventually, what at forty-two? Yeah. Like, okay, you win, you win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, Joe, thank you for the time for the Ray Ferraro podcast. Really appreciate it. CSNNE.com, Boston Bruins Insider, uh, Joe Haggerty. Thanks for the time today, man. You got it, guys. My pleasure as always. Ray, take care, bud. See ya. Cool, Joe. Thanks. We'll see you at Fenway. <laughs> Sounds good. Good stuff. Thanks. Uh, thanks for thanks for Ray for for getting Joe on. Yeah, good guy. So uh, Joe's uh, Joe's a pretty passionate guy. Typical Bostonian. They, uh, uh, just glad you. You know, get they get they get in there. They they love the Red Sox. They love their they love the Bruins. And um, but Joe is he is hooked in pretty tight there. And um, I love getting the chance to talk to him when I mm-hmm. run into him about what's really going on in Boston. I was going to ask him about the Claude Julian thing about being a little bit of a messy ending, but you touched on that. I just when a guy wins a cup and you know he's the all-time winner, it seemed like whether it was Sweeney or or the owner or Cam Neely, a lot of guys behind Claude's back were kind of not maybe not letting things leak out that they weren't pumped, and I didn't like the ending of that. But that's just me. I thought it could have. I thought it could have been a little more. Um... Uh, there could have there could have been a little more celebration of of what he meant yes, to the Bruins. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, but I guess at the time you are firing him, so it's <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. You can you know, it's just like breaking up with a girlfriend and say, You're the best girl I've ever known, but we're not going out anymore. Yeah, we're done. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh Ray Ferrara from T S N. He's uh in Toronto tonight to call the Winnipeg Jets and Toronto Maple Leafs. Huge game. Can't wait to uh to watch it. It'll be very exciting. Um I guess uh Ray, uh first up I guess uh Darren, Darren Drager uh, chirped your podcast, chirped our podcast last week. Oh, he drags is a pain in the ass anyway. <laughs> he is, though. He's one of the, Drager is one of the guys you don't want to fool around with. Like, if you ever leave your phone around, yeah. Drager will get your phone, <laughs> randomly email somebody he doesn't know, <laughs> and send them a message. Then you get a call back. Like, it, it yeah. might be, he just picks a name out, sends an email, yeah. And he's done this before and says, I need to talk to you immediately. <laughs> now, it might be somebody you haven't talked to in five years. He doesn't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, you get a call and they're like, hey, how you doing? What's up? And you're like, nah, nothing. <laughs> well, he emailed me. <laughs> like, I like that move. I like oh, it. Oh, it's really good. He's it's good. You, you got to be careful when you screw around. Right, with right. Yeah. Um, Darren, um, James Duffy started a, uh, a podcast at TSN. And uh, O-Dog says he's starting. So. O-Dog's not starting anything. <laughs> I loved not it. It was chance. great. All he was concerned about was how much money was involved. He didn't really care about anything else. So, um, Hey, uh, can we talk about Leafs Legends Row or no? Are you just going to throw up or hang up? What are you? Well, I'm not going to throw up or hang up. I'm really like, it is what it is. And so your boy Wendell's on there. Which, fantastic. Love it. Thank you. Doug Gilmore's not. Which is bullshit. It's bullshit. It's complete garbage. He's second all-time in Leafs points per game. Look, he was there six years, I think. But you can't look at the glory years, 92, 93, 93, 94, 127 points one year. Um, how is Gilmore not on Leafs legend row? And I know okay. this, is this, ca- is, this is We talked about this on Overdrive yesterday uh-huh. in Toronto. And so I asked them, because I don't know, I said, what's the criteria to be on legend row? Uh-huh. And the answer was they weren't sure. So when you ask, why isn't he on there, I don't know because I don't know what you're supposed to do to get in there. Now, they've put a – sounds like they've put a little stop on at 14. Yeah. I thought if they were – you know, it's a bench. Like the Legends Row is like – Yes. For people that haven't seen it, it's basically – it's statues on a bench, like a hockey bench. It's really terrific. Yeah, it's neat. Yeah. And I thought that bench should be – 20 players long because that's how that's many people how long, are yeah. on a bench. Right. Um, so I don't know why they stopped it at 14. I don't know if Doug will get included later on. I I hate to agree with you on anything about the Leafs just because, <laughs> you know, I mean, for no other yeah. reason than yeah. I just don't want to agree. Yeah. But um, he should be there. In, in my mind, he should be there. But you can't. The problem is the Leafs were going from zero and trying to, redraw in all of their history, all all in a short period of time. And I think they've done an amazing job with it. But that's a lot of history. It's not like you're trying to put together the history of the Atlanta Thrashers. You can do that in seven seconds. Oh, you'd be on the bench. You would be on Legends Row. I would be on the bench. However, they have, you know, like Charlie Conacher deserves to be on Legends Row, even though none of us have seen him play in the historical uh, legion of players mm-hmm. that the Leafs have had, they deserve to be there too. And so maybe they felt like this is enough. Gilmer was amazing for those that short, brief period of time. I, I mean, that, yeah. that might be the only reason, Joe, really, is that it was a shorter period of time. But, but he energized uh, 
you know, a place that was looking for something good to happen. Right. Also, Rick Vive, all-time uh, single-season goal holder yep. for the Leafs, multi-time 50-goal scorer, uh, tenth on the points uh, in the franchise history. Rick Vive. I'm surprised. There's been no Rick Vive talk. Now you played against Rick Vive. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's like Rick was. Um, he's always kind of. He doesn't quite get the the love some of the other players get. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he's just viewed in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's because they never really had much success when he was here. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, he would be kind of like the next level of guys, right or wrong. But that's kind of what it feels like to me. Yep. Well, I'm. I'm 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 happy that Wendell's on there, but I'd like to find a place for for sure. Um, TSN's Ray Ferraro. All right, Ray, let's wrap this up with some uh, some Twitter questions and some email questions from our listeners. Thanks everybody for listening. As always, get it on iTunes, get it on uh, any kind of podcatcher, Stitcher app. Also, people love that. So uh, this is from Kevin. Uh, Mike Richards has been working out. Do you see him joining a fourth line like he did with the Caps at the deadline? I didn't know that Mike Richards was still trying to get back in, but um, he was. Okay, for the Capitals last year when he joined them. Yeah, I, I don't know that that a team would would do that. Um, I mean, it would be a zero risk move. Um, I don't. I believe he's got to clear waivers, but I'm not sure. I, you know, I don't know that that would even be a problem. Mm-hmm. But I do, I just don't know what what Mike would have left. I mean, he's you know he was never a great skater. And now he's been away for a long period of time. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe somebody would think, "Hey, he could give us some, you know, some penalty killing, and mm-hmm. maybe he could help on our, you know, on our fourth line." And then if it doesn't work out, you just don't play him anyway, right? Like yeah, I, yeah. I guess that's possible, but I, I don't know. It seems a long shot to me to take somebody that hasn't been playing at all and drop him into a, an NHL game. Uh, Fortron at Fortron says, "Ray, why can't all games be three point games?" You got me on that. I would be in favor of that. I really would. I, I don't, well, yeah. to me, for whatever the arguments are, the fact that some games are worth three total points and some are worth two mm-hmm. is a joke. Yeah, it's a it's absurd, really. Yep. So I don't, you know, in my in my world, you know, it's it's a real simple formula. You get three, four. A regulation win. It's a you know it's it's not like it's a new formula. Three for a regulation win, mm-hmm. two for overtime win, one for overtime loss. That's it. Yeah, I'm okay yeah. with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and so every game's worth three points. Um, you know that you can have you can have teams play play this, each other in an odd number of games, and their records are different. Like it's just goofy. Yeah, and. You know, like some team can win a a regulation game, some team wins an overtime, but they get a point. You know, the losing team gets a point because that's <laughs> yeah, a three-point no, game worth it. You know, like yeah. if you think of it, Toronto plays Winnipeg. They Toronto wins in regulation tonight. Uh, tomorrow they play, and Winnipeg wins in overtime. Toronto gets a point. Toronto has three points. Winnipeg has two, and in theory, they're one and one. Yeah, no, it's like it's... that. That's dumb. Was it designed for parody? Do you think? I guess so. I, I mean, that's, I'm no mathematician, but yeah. I guess so. But to me, it's yeah. It just it it it's just it's ridiculous. Now, if actually. you went to that way, a lot of you know NHL records go by the wayside for team point records. 
but that's okay. They used to not be able to pass the puck. You know that we we got we had a red line forever. And well, okay, but Henrik Lundqvist just won his 400th NHL game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how many. You know what the exact number is, but he won games in overtime. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, they didn't used to have overtime. They didn't. They yeah. didn't used to have overtime. They, the goalies had a hundred ties or eighty ties in <laughs> right. their in their right. So. Things change all the time, and right. eras are different, and rules are different, and you know, I just yeah, that's why I say I I'm, don't know. That, I'm that, fine that with shouldn't it. be right. yeah, that shouldn't be the the answer to why you don't do it. But I think that's what some people say, and I don't care. Things oh, change I don't, all the I don't, time. Yeah. Well, those people are wrong. <laughs> uh, from MSL twenty one, which UFA signing has been worse, Louis Erickson or David Backus? Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> it is, isn't um, it? I was thinking too. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm I'm going to say that Erickson had more expectation mm-hmm. that he was going to play with Henrik and Daniel. They were going to help change the Canucks' uh, fortunes offensively. It just hasn't happened. And it, so I, I would say Erickson's been a bigger disappointment for that reason. Um, all right, let's get into the random NHLer of the podcast. Uh, something that I want to bring up every every show if I can. Just ask your thoughts about a random guy that you played with or against. And uh, the guy I thought of today, he had a cannon for a shot. Stefan Richet. Oh man, Richet! When Richet scored fifty goals for mm-hmm. Montreal, yep. I mean, he was the king of the city. Mm-hmm. French guy, flair, you know. Um, yeah. Scored goals with, uh, there was something different about the way he scored. You know, it could come down the wing. He could make a move. He was big. He, you know, he was strong. He was tough to handle. He was also a guy that would go in and out yeah. uh, of of the game. Like, you, you know, there'd be some games you've noticed him a hell of a lot more than you did other games. But he was a dynamic, um, he was a one-shot scorer. I mean, yeah. he was, man, he was something. Yeah, like him. Just a, oh a my bomb. god! He could shoot the puck, <laughs> but he could shoot it while he was moving, mm-hmm. and he and he could, and when he was moving, um, he was tough to catch. You know, he was a like he ran the show here in Montreal while while he was running and, that fifty goal season on the board. And it was interesting because he went through a little bit of a of a change when he got to Jersey. They started saying he was a good checker, like they were like, hey. Richet can do more than just score. Well, when you went to Jersey, everybody checked. <laughs> That's a good point, right? Yeah. You, di- you didn't really have a choice. <laughs> that was it, yeah. Yeah, you're checking. <laughs> Welcome to New Jersey. Here's how the left-wing lock works. Yeah. And if you ever Find pro- your place, and this is it. And if you have a problem, there's Mr. Danico in the corner over there. No, the real problem was the guy sitting up in the stands, Lou. Oh, yeah, yeah. You did yeah. things lose way or you were you were not going to be long for Jersey. Right, right. All right, Ray. Well, hey, spring training is happening. I'm not sure how you think that the Red Sox, like on paper, they look so great. But, of course, as we know, baseball never uh, goes the way well, it's supposed to. Well, you never win on paper. You but know? I don't know. So. Chris Sale looks pretty good. So does David Price. And you, so I'm, does Rick Porcello and were you, pretty good pitching staff. Were you truly happy with David Price last year? I don't think so. Second half. I still whole season rate counts. So yeah, it did they won the division? <laughs> and they got better. Yeah, well, they're going to miss Ortiz. They will. They, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think they won't miss Ortiz. Um, but they are. Um, I think they're the division winner again. Does Sandoval play third all year? 
no. No. I think he plays third. He plays first. They they kind of move some people around for you know. So is but, Han- is Hanley the DH? Is that what you're saying? No, that's what I mean. I oh, think they're yeah. they move some people around. They've got you know they got nine glove Brock Holt that moves around. You mm-hmm. know they they play him at second, play him at third. They get Shaw still. They're they've got enough pieces to move around, but I don't know how you possibly don't miss David Ortiz. Nope. And uh, my Toronto Blue Jays brought back the Joey Bats, the leader, unlike your team, losing the leader. Oh, yeah, so. the leader. Yep. Quite a leader. <laughs> he had to wait eight months to get a contract. But they Man, did it. he ever play that contract thing badly. <laughs> Holy smokes, right? Yeah. Um, you know, like, even, heck, even he who is... You know, pretty prideful, yeah. Pretty, yeah. yeah not, yeah. not modest. No. Um, said, you know, I might have gone about that a different way. <laughs> might not have been great with a new general manager and a new uh, a president to come out and just and just say, like, you know, the stock market goes up because of your your success, and you deserve a part of that and everything. So, and uh, just it just didn't work for him. But no. anyways, yeah. we're getting into the, just the start of it. We'll have plenty of time to argue about this. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, all right, quickly, Ray, give me a prediction for tonight's game: Leafs Jets. Um, Winnipeg is hot, three zero and one. The Leafs are—they don't have Marner tonight. I think it's four two Winnipeg. All right, we got to go. That's ridiculous. Paul Pocky we'll podcast with TSN's Ray Ferraro. Thanks, Ray. Enjoy the game tonight, and uh, we will see everybody next week. Thanks, Ray. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. Even uh, thanks, Steve, for you know for doing what whatever the hell it is he does. Right. Hitting... Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. See ya.